Tonight's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18, which can be found on page 965 of the Church Bibles. So that's page 965, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Thank you, Kirsten, for reading for us. One final cold sermon to sit through. And from now on, all the sermons will be warm. And it's a promise we have that from next week, uh, it'll be much more comfortable for us, uh, but it may send us to sleep more easily, so we'll see what goes on. Uh, well, welcome back to uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, this remarkable passage that we have before us this evening. Let's pray together as we come to, uh, to it. Our Father, we have um, heard as we've gone through this book that as your word is uh, read and proclaimed, and we hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, that you remove the veil from hard hearts and that you transform us into the image of your Son. And that's our prayer this evening, that you would do both of those things, uh, remove the veil, we pray, and transform us, make us like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, just before we tackle these verses that we've had read to us, uh, I'd like to just recap a little bit of what we've seen so far. So Paul the Apostle, he writes to the Corinthians to remind them what authentic Christian ministry uh, is all about. And he's doing that to get them to line, up, line themselves up uh, with it. Now here's, what, here's how we've defined it. The authentic Christian ministry is simple Bible-explaining, Jesus-proclaiming ministry. Simple, Bible-explaining, Jesus-proclaiming ministry. Simply proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ from the Bible and doing so in an open, straightforward and clear way. Let me just remind you of where we saw that last week. This is chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. 
but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Open statement of the truth. And what is the message that comes from God's word? Chapter 4, verse 5. We proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Simple Bible explaining, Jesus proclaiming ministry. That's the real deal. And we, gathered here tonight, we're part of that ministry, both as individuals and as part of a church that's seeking uh, to do this kind of ministry. So whether you've got a formal role, uh, like that of a pastor or a small group leader or or a youth worker, or whether you're doing that informally, whether you're teaching your kids the Bible at home, or you're seeking to reach your friends with the gospel, this ministry is our ministry. Now, the other track that we've seen as we've gone through the early chapters of 1 Corinthians is that there are some opponents. Paul has got opponents, and they say that this style of ministry is really pretty weak and ineffective. They feel that Christian ministry should be more spectacular and more impressive than that. They feel that Paul's message should be more aligned to the values of the culture and that it would be more appealing, it would be more successful if the Christian minister, those who serve uh, this uh, message, if they had more power and they had more wealth and they had more prestige, that would be more effective, that's what they think. But Paul's convinced, and he's been convincing the, the Corinthians and us, that this simple Bible-explaining, Jesus-proclaiming ministry, his kind of weak-looking ministry, is the ministry of the new covenant. It's the ministry of the Spirit. It has power to save people and to transform them. And it is actually, therefore, the ministry of glory. Paul is convinced of this, and so he is bold about it. That's 3 verse 12. And 4 verse 1, he does not lose heart in the face of criticism. And that was our application last week. Paul began to show us that despite the pressure against us, we have many reasons not to lose heart as we seek to serve God in this way. And that theme continues in our passage tonight. On the back of the service sheet is where we're going. Uh, Reasons why we should not lose heart in the struggle of Christian ministry. Here's reason number one, verse 7 to 12. We do not lose heart in the struggles of Christian ministry, for through our weakness, God's power is shown. Now, what do you expect? What do you expect your experience of life to be like as you serve God? What are your expectations? Well, I remember going to an evangelistic event once as a teenager, and the preacher said this, Christianity is not just pie in the sky when you die, but steak on the plate while you wait. Now, that's a catchy slogan, if not a little bit cheesy, but it's quite catchy. It's memorable, I've remembered it. And you can see how that might appeal to people in an evangelistic talk. Put your faith in Jesus and you won't just get heaven later, 
you'll get heaven on earth now. Now that's the kind of thing that the super apostles might say in Corinth. And it's a common message that you can hear from preachers across the world today. Many will say that God promises that by trusting in Jesus and serving him, you will get the best things in life now. You'll have health and wealth and everything else that you could possibly want. And that's a message that's very appealing. I remember as a teenager being quite excited by that thought. I wanted to follow and serve Jesus. And so it was good to look forward to it and go, well, my life will be full of wonderful experiences and great successes and well, it would just feel really good. But the problem is that it's not true. Not true. See, while it is wonderful to know Jesus Christ, to have the knowledge of him in our hearts, that is wonderful. Health and wealth, success and prosperity and strength is not the normal experience for the Christian who says Jesus in authentic Christian ministry. See, Paul's opponents, they loved to boast of such things. They saw their success and their prosperity and their popularity, they saw that as evidence of the authenticity of their ministry. But let's hear Paul speak of his experience in verse 7. To 12. Verse 7, first of all. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Treasure in jars of clay. What is, why does Paul choose this as his metaphor? Well, Paul may well use this image because Corinth was well known for producing these kind of cheap clay uh, lamps. And they were, the, they were really the sort of most bog-standard item in the house. And they were made of this kind of translucent pottery that if you placed a candle inside um, the pot, it, it sort of shone through the skin, you, it would glow. And you could use it to um, give you light as you carried it uh, down the street. And the jar was of course, very, very fragile. It was cheap material. It chipped and it cracked and it broke easily. You can see why Paul uses this image. The light of the gospel, verse, uh, chapter um, 4, verse 6, the light of the gospel has shined into the heart of a person. And then it shines out to others as they proclaim it in this dark world. The person's not the source of the light. They're only the means by which the light can be carried from one place to another. The one who carries this precious light is weak, is fragile, and is always on the edge of breaking. The authentic Christian ministry experience is not one of strength and power. It is fragility and weakness. See, as we serve Jesus, we know that we're weak and fragile, that we're always on the edge of breaking. And Paul says that God has made it this way. He's made it this way to show 
that the surpassing power belongs to him and not to us. Our weakness, our fragility, shows that it must be God's power at work if anyone is to be saved or transformed. Now Paul himself had been on the edge of breaking many times in his life, and you just read the book of Acts and you'll see that again and again and again. You see how bad it was. But God had always brought him through, and he tells us this in verse 8 to 12. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, there are times we just don't know what to do, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So Paul was sometimes on the edge of being killed physically. There were actual attempts on his life. But all the time it felt like death was at the door. How could he keep going? Why, why did he carry on preaching the gospel when this was his lot for doing so? Why didn't he lose hearts? Well, because he realised that God was displaying or manifesting the life of Jesus through his mortal flesh as he proclaimed the gospel. He was brought to an end of himself so that God's power, the life that there is in Jesus, could be all the more clearly seen. This ministry that brought the constant prospect of death in Paul had actually brought life to all those who heard, to those, some of those, sorry, of, who heard the gospel and to the Corinthians themselves. Here in these verses, Paul really makes a remarkable statement of faith that God deliberately keeps his servant weak so that God's power might be more clearly seen. So this is the normal ministry experience. It's weakness and fragility and suffering. It will feel like death. But this same ministry is the one that brings spiritual life to others. And this authentic Christian experience, it's been testified to again and again and again by Christian ministers uh, throughout the centuries. One famous example is the Victorian preacher uh, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon was one of the most prominent ministers of his day. Thousands came to hear his preaching at his church in London. And alongside his uh, ministry, he, uh, preaching ministry, he trained a group of younger pastors. And Spurgeon became really concerned um, for them that given the success that his ministry seemed to be having, that, that these trainee ministers, that they might think that somehow he was someone special or that, that he was some kind of superhuman figure who never struggled with anything. He, one, for one thing, he knew that wasn't true, uh, but he was concerned that if they came to think that about him, that when they struggled in their ministry, they would feel that they were just doing something wrong. He usually uh, lectured these guys in, in a weekly, weekly in a training college 
on their sort of various topics to do with ministry. And then one day he decided, I've got to speak to them of my weakness. See, he'd suffered for many years with severe bouts of depression. And as he got older, increasingly he suffered pain. He had gout. He suffered it pain in, his, in one leg. So much so that he'd often have to stand on, on one leg to preach because it was so severe. So he knew weakness. He knew that he was a jar of clay, a fragile and cracked vessel. This is what he said to them. By all the castings down of his servants, God is glorified. For they are led to magnify him when again he sets them on their feet. And even while prostrate in the dust, their faith yields him praise. They speak all the more sweetly of his faithfulness and are the more firmly established in his love. Such mature men as some elderly preachers are could scarcely have been produced if they had not been emptied from vessel to vessel and made to see their own emptiness and the vanity of all things round about them. Glory be to God for the furnace, the hammer and the file. Heaven shall be all the fuller of bliss because we have been filled with anguish here below and the earth shall be better tilled because of our training in the school of adversity. The lesson of wisdom is this, be not dismayed by soul trouble, count it no strange thing, but a part of ordinary ministerial experience. That last bit, the lesson of wisdom is this, be not dismayed by soul trouble, count it no strange thing, not an unusual thing, but a part of ordinary ministerial experience. Some of you here tonight, I know, are in the middle of soul trouble. The words Paul used to describe himself could easily be said of you, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. My guess is that if someone asks, you probably say you're fine, that's what I uh, do. But if you're honest, it feels like death and you're on the edge of breaking. Do not lose heart. Be encouraged that it is normal experience for those who serve God in this world. It was true for Paul. It was true for Spurgeon. It's been true for the elders of this church. And it's true for me. We're jars of clay. Even as we carry the treasure of the gospel and we believe it is a treasure, Come to see what Paul sees, that it's not without purpose that we are weak, that God is showing his all-surpassing power through us as he uses us in this ministry. And also be encouraged that no matter how bad it gets, the Lord God will not let you go beyond what you can bear. As you look to him, be assured that he has and he will keep you. Afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
That's the first reason not to lose heart in the struggle of Christian ministry. That was the longest one uh, tonight. So here's the second. Uh, You'll be pleased to know uh, that there's encouragement for us coming. Uh, To be honest, so far what you've seen of the Christian ministry experience is not particularly appealing, is it, if you're just starting out. Uh, you think, well, look, if this is what is going to happen, you know, why would I want to do that? Uh, but Paul's going to show us that the pattern of Christian ministry is the pattern of Jesus' ministry. It's weakness and suffering and death. But it's also by the power of God, resurrection and salvation of others and glory to come. So here's number two. We do not lose heart in Christian ministry, verse 13 to 15, because there's a resurrection Have a look at what Paul says in verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. You can see the quotation there in verse 13, I believed and so I spoke. Paul's quoting from Psalm 116 there. Psalm 116 is a psalm written by someone who's really on their last legs, someone who's utterly worn out. He's got people chasing him, trying to kill him. And he's someone who feels like death is wrapping its tentacles around his legs and dragging him under. That's the image that he uses in the psalm. Yet despite of that, the psalmist has confidence that the Lord God will rescue him, even from death, when it comes. Listen to verse 7 to 11 of that psalm. Speaks to himself, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. Paul says, I share the same faith of the psalmist, that even as death stalks him, he he will continue believing in and speaking of the goodness of God and the hope of the resurrection, that he will walk in the land of the living. Even if the worst happens, he trusts that the Lord will bring him into his presence. I think I might have told this story here before, um, but I can't quite remember, so forgive me uh, for that. Uh, I've got a friend called Rick, and uh, Rick was one of the other ministers of my church, and I spent a lot of time with him, and over, over some time he increasingly felt that he was called uh, to go and serve in Nigeria as a Bible teacher in a theological uh, college uh, right in the central belt of Nigeria. And he was all ready to go, he had uh, a wife and, and kids, he was preparing to leave with his family, um, but just as they were uh, readying to go, there were an increasing number of um, Islamist uh, attacks against Christians uh, in the region that he was to go to. And so their departure was delayed. And I think it was delayed by about nine months or so. Now, during that time, he was faced with all sorts of questions um, from people who really cared about him. But they were asking, look, is it really wise 
for you to go there. And the concerns are really understandable, of course, it was a risky thing to do. But some people felt that he was just being really foolish, um, that he was putting them all at risk, and they told him so um, in pretty uncertain terms. And so we were talking, and I asked him, look, how are you responding to that? And he was gracious, you know, he understood where they were coming from, he, he realised that they, they were you know, genuine concerns, and he shared them as well, of course. But he could have stayed in, in leafy Surrey. So why was he prepared to go to a place where suffering and persecution and death were a realistic possibility? His answer was this. He said, because at the end of the day, we believe in the resurrection. It was a really striking answer of faith. And he's following Paul's example in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The resurrection means that we can give our lives over to serving Jesus with all that it brings. And though we don't seek it, we're not seeking suffering, even if our lives are the cost, that is no real loss ultimately. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, says Paul. And it's not just the hope of the resurrection for Paul himself that keeps him going. Did you notice that? It was also that through his ministry, many will join him on that resurrection day. He will bring us with you into his presence, says Paul. That grace extends more to more and more people as they turn in faith and thankfulness to God so that he gets the glory. The hope of the resurrection, it keeps us going as we come to see that that is our confidence for our own lives, and the result of our ministry for others. And so far from accumulating wealth and comfort for myself, I can now spend my life on the gospel. I can lose it all because I'm confident that even if I lose it all, even if the worst happens and I'm killed for preaching about Jesus, I will get it all back. And many, many more people may join me in glory. If we don't lose heart in the struggles of Christian ministry, because there's a resurrection, both for us and for our hearers. One final thing, verse 16 to 18. Paul, in our final verses, he gives us one more reason to not lose heart. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's likely here that Paul has in mind just the physical wear and tear on the body. He's getting older, uh, as we all do, and all that comes with that. But it's also just a really demanding work. It's long hours, and it's physical, it's demanding, stressful. And that has an effect on the body. Elsewhere, Paul talks about his ministry as being like being poured out, exhausting oneself, that sort of grinding stress and strain, the weariness, the tiredness. He knows that experience of just having nothing left in the tank. Yet he still won't lose heart. Why not? Well, apparently, the 
This is uh, attributed to the, the great sculpture, sculptor uh, Michelangelo. Apparently he once said this. He said, the more the marble wastes, the more the statue grows. Think of the great sculptor, hammer and chisel in hand, chipping away at the block of marble. It looks to be destructive at first glance, you know, dust, broken pieces on the floor, but stand there long enough and you will learn that in the hands of the master, it's not destruction, it's creation. From the damage emerges the glory of the statue. And it's just like that for us too, says Paul. Through the wearying demands of serving God, he is shaping us, he's forming us, he's reforming us, our hearts, to make us more like Jesus. He's chipping off the bumps and the sharp corners of our character, smoothing down the rough edges to renew us in the image of Christ. So as he said earlier in chapter 3, that by the Spirit of God at work in us, we are being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. Now, will we like that process? No, of course we won't like it. It will be painful for us, but it will be good for us. Absolutely. Bit by bit, a glorious image will emerge. We're being made into the image of Christ, even as our bodies are wasting away. We need to have spiritual eyes to see that this is what the Lord is doing through the struggle. He's doing that now for you. But as well as seeing the present, we also need to have spiritual eyes to look to the future. And that's what we finish with in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Think of all that Paul went through for the gospel. Afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, death at the door, as much as any Christian has been through before or since. And yet he can say it is light and momentary. It is light. It's as if it's nothing at all in comparison with the weight of glory that is coming to him. And it's momentary. I mean, 70 years, maybe, maybe that long of serving Jesus. But in the context of eternity, that's just a few seconds compared to the long and glorious years that await us. So we may not feel like that much of the time, but when we do, Paul says, look, shift your gaze, look somewhere else. Don't fix your eyes on the here and now, on the present suffering in the moment. That's the way to lose heart. Focus on what is seen. Instead, fix your eyes on what is unseen, on what lasts. The things that are unseen are transient, they pass away, but the things that are, that are unseen, they're eternal and they're glorious. Sometimes when you preach 
sermons, you realise that you're preaching as much to yourself as you are to anyone else. I need to hear this. I need to hear it this week. I need to hear it every week. And so do we all. The authentic experience of serving Jesus in Bible-explaining, Jesus-proclaiming ministry is that you're a jar of clay. We have real treasure, the light of the gospel to carry into the world, but we feel weak and we feel fragile and we feel like we might break at any moment. Yet God won't let that happen. God has made it this way to show that the surpassing power belongs to him and not to us. He's achieving glory for himself precisely because we are so weak. And yet in all this, he will not let us be destroyed. He'll keep us through death. There is a resurrection, both for us and for our hearers, and he is renewing us day by day and will one day grant us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. So we do not lose heart. Let's be quiet for a moment before the Lord. Before I lead us in prayer, let's be quiet. Paul will later reveal in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that God spoke to him and said these words, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Our Father, as we have gathered under your word tonight, we pray for those among us who are particularly feeling weak or fragile or on the edge. Lord God, would you cause them not to lose heart? Would you strengthen them? Would you reassure them that you love them and that you have purpose in all things? And Lord God, would you reassure each of us that you are at work in us, that you're chipping away, that you're going to make us into the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And that what's going on at the moment is light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that's coming. Lord, we struggle to believe those words. Give us faith, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.